Praise the Lord. We are so privileged to have Pastor Fladiris. Like I mentioned this morning in, in the offering, he's he glory, just our friendship, very, very precious to me and my wife. Uh, the friendship that we've had through the years, we know uh, each other's children well and such. And But uh, he's been an excellent minister. He pi- pioneered a church in a place called Delft uh, in Holland and then uh, took over the leadership church in China was there for five years, uh, just did, functioned very well, came back to the Netherlands, took over the second oldest church there. Just a blessing to not only my life, but to many others in the Netherlands. Just a solid leader involved in leadership there and just a privilege to have him here with us. Uh, And uh, Jesus tarries, we'll have him back for a full revival But uh, we're just really blessed to have him with us for just this Sunday. He's going on to Pastor Alfie Fisher on Monday before they head back to the Netherlands. And so we're just blessed to have him. Let's welcome him as he comes, Pastor Bert Fladeris. Thank you, Matthew, again. Thank you again, and thank you for coming out tonight. Thank you, Pastor Sullivan and Carrie. Amen. You've been a blessing to us, to our lives, and uh, I believe also a great blessing for this congregation. Okay, let me get this right. All set. Amen. 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15, verse 35. Disappointments are just part of life. We all know that, and we all have gone through circumstances and situations, whether it may be in The area of jobs or relationship or business, health, family, church. Things can end in a disappointment. Then the big question is, how do we respond to that? In the story we are going to read is the prophet Samuel. He put all hope and all expectations on a man by the name of Saul. The people of Israel, they desired to have a king. You know the story. So the prophet Samuel, led by the Spirit of God, anointed this man, Saul, to be king over the people. But it turned out to be a great disappointment. Saul turns out to be a weak leader. He's unspiritual. You never see him building an altar. Only after 20 years in his, king, in his kingship, he built an altar. He's disobedient to God. He's disobedient to his leadership, Samuel. And so finally it comes to a big crisis when Saul got clear instructions how he had to deal with the Amalekites but, uh, who had been enemies with Israel for generations. Saul defeated the Amalekites but is only partly obedient to Samuel's instructions. And then the two of them have a final confrontation, 1 Samuel 15, verse 35. And Samuel went to no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided myself a king among his sons. 
So Samuel is summoned by God to stop mourning over Saul and turn the page and go on and to take care of God's business. I want to speak about turning the page this evening. Firstly, don't mourn too long. In the scripture, it's obvious that Samuel has a hard time to deal with the disappointment. He has to deal with it. He has to face Samuel is aware of the fact that things with Saul will not work out. It doesn't, it doesn't get any better. It only gets worse. Saul is getting more and more dis- disobedient. Even God regrets that he made Saul king over Israel. But it says Samuel, he mourned for Saul. Like someone who mourns for a dead person. And because he realizes it's all over. This ain't going to get better. Commentary says Samuel mourned all night. So again, disappointments are simply the reality of life. Everyone will get a share, but how long will you mourn? Some people seem to never overcome disappointment or trauma. David, when his son Absalom fled away after killing Amnon, it says David mourned every day for three years. Well, and I don't say if you lost a loved one, amen, I don't, I'm not going to tell you how, to long, how long to mourn, but in David's situation, he mourned every day, the Bible says. And in the city we passed it in Holland, we have a, in Delft, there was a, there's a famous university. Several times we had people coming to our church who were dropouts of the university. And the fact is that they never recovered from that. Probably their parents or themselves, they put high expectations. And things didn't work out and they couldn't keep up. And years later they are still depressed. They are still mentally damaged. They cannot get over it. And it was not one we met. It was dozens we met. In China, where we were, people don't do well in overcoming disappointments in life. Chinese people tend to blame themselves. For years, for some failure or for a missed opportunity, a relationship that didn't work out, a job they didn't get or a promotion they missed or a school not finished, or even a house they could have bought but they didn't and now prices went up and it goes on and on. I read a story about this 70-year-old Chinese man. He had three four-inch nails removed that he hammered himself into his skull. I don't have the picture here, but believe me, it's true. So the man was asked why he hammered those nails into his skull. And he said he went through a difficult time with a lot of challenges and a lot of stress. And he didn't know what to do. So the best he could come up with is hammering a nail into his skull. A four-inch nail. But nothing really changed after the first one, so he did it a few times more. And so he ended up with three 
four-inch nails into his skull. You know, in our generation, people don't do well with stress. They are not doing well handling stress or disappointment. Maybe because we are not used to a lot of trauma anymore. People in former generations were more used to tragedies, bad things happening to them or in their generation. And so to be able to survive all of this and to keep a sane mind, they just had to go on. Two or three generations back, the generations my parents were born in, in that time people had to endure much more stressful circumstances many times. Many families were familiar with the loss of a loved one or a child or even more children or losing your father or mother at a young age. Healthcare, of course, wasn't good in those days. So people could easily die of the flu or something. My father was born in 1915. Three years later, the Spanish flu hit the world and wiped away in two years' time about 100 million people. Don't think COVID ever did that. And worldwide, and uh, at that time, it was 5% of the population of the world. And so don't get me wrong, we are blessed with great health care nowadays and enough food and enough facilities and good housing, and we're blessed by that. And so the most of us, we don't have to suffer like in, in, in former generations. But it seems that this makes us more vulnerable. Someone did research at stress and qualified stressful and sorrowful events people go through in our time. The death of a spouse is rated 100 points. Divorce, 70, 73 points. Pregnancy, 40 points. Renovating the house, 40 point, points. So they figured out that, uh, uh, out that 300 points or more in one year, almost in every case, led to a nervous breakdown or burnout. So we don't do well with stress. So why is Samuel mourning so extensively about Saul? It seems that Samuel, he takes the failure of Saul, he, he takes it way too personally. It is if Saul repre- represents all of Samuel's hope, all of his dreams, and now when Saul has become a failure, that Samuel feels like he has failed himself. You know, Samuel at that point is an older man. He doesn't seem to be so flexible anymore. Remember how he started as his ministry as a young boy and in that, that insanity in the, in, in the house of Eli with his two backslidden sons, Hophni and Pinehas. Everything is out of control and the sons of Eli slept with the women, the women who served at the tabernacle. All kinds of violations took place. Samuel survived that. He survived everything at that time. Kept his heart right, but years have gone by. And now his own sons have built a bad reputation. 1 Samuel 8, verse 3. 
But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, perverted justice. And this is obvious one of the hardest things for every parent when children do not do well. They do not follow your footsteps. That you're laboring, you're working in church, and you're in, involved in ministry, you do your best. But your children are not following your example. They don't want to live for God. So it seems that everything Samuel labored for, prayed for, hoped for in his life, it's falling apart. And now his own man, his best disciple, Saul, has become a failure. And it seems Samuel took things too personal. I remember the sermon of Pastor Greg Mitchell. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. Words of John the Baptist. He says, I'm not the Messiah. You know, we shouldn't take things too personally. When people put our hopes on on us or ask us all kinds of advice, even as a pastor, hey, I'm not the Messiah. Some things you have to deal with with, with, with it yourself. Sometimes you have to work through. So it could be that the prophet Samuel, he identified himself too much with the problem Saul. Samuel mourned for Saul to the point that God said, now it is enough, Samuel. Yes, you are disappointed. Yes, we had high expectations of Saul, and it didn't come true, but you have mourned long enough. Maybe you are here in a certain situation. And you have mourned for a long time. Well, God spoke to Samuel. Listen, you still have anointing oil. There are still other good men in Israel. I want to use, so go and turn the page. Let's secondly look at that, turning the page. I will tell you something about my family, about my uh, the Fladeris family. Every family nowadays, nowadays has, uh, has, you can find things about former generations. And our family has a nephew. He retired in an early age, and so he has time on his hands. And he, he looked at all those things, and, about, and he checked all, everything on the Internet about the Fladeris family. So he found about our founding father, Lucas Fladeris. And he was a pastor. And we talk about 400 years ago. Amen. So he was pastoring from 1609 to 1652 in a little village where I grew up. Two of his sons also became pastors. One of them, he died young age, 25 years. The other about him are a lot of stories. How? Well, it, he found it. He found all these uh, these documents. They say this son, he got a position as a pastor because of bribery. But it could not be proven, so he got away with it. He became the pastor there. But our family chronicles say that a few years later, he was removed from office because he was drunk the greatest part of the day. They accused him of neglecting his duty and sitting with the soldiers in the bar all day. Another accusation was that brought, he, he 
bought eight pieces of land at a price way too low from a dying man. So this, this guy was not good. He was a bad dude. He gave pastoring a bad name, and he's my ancestor. But there's another story. Uh, he found out, actually, we, we know already the story. It's about my great-grandfather. His name is Hendrik, was Hendrik. In the year of 1882, he had moved with his young family to Michigan. So from Holland to Michigan, not Holland, Michigan, but from Holland to Michigan, a place called um, Muscaton. Does it still exist? Muscaton? Well, anyway, in 1882, but circumstances, tragedies struck this young family. And that was a small part of the letter he sent out our family in Holland. Just six months later, uh, after they arrived in Muscaton at the Lake of Michigan, his pregnant wife started to have bleedings. The doctor couldn't do anything for her. It, we talk about 1882. And after speaking with her husband about her faith and about eternity, she got weaker and weaker and slipped away. My great-grandfather, Hendrik Vladeris, he writes to the family at that point after his wife died, his baby died, her baby died. He said this, I'm very confident that my dear wife went to be with her Savior. In her last hours, she was not occupied with earthly things. But I, what can I do? I'm left here with my two small children far away from home. And we don't know how to go on. But history tells that he did recover from this tragedy. He went home. He settled in the north of Holland where I, where I grew up. Built quite a large farm for those days. Remarried with my great-grandmother. And so when he finally died, he had left the great farm uh, for those days. So what my point is, we need to be able to turn the page. Yes, disappointments in life come, tragedies come, trauma comes, but we need to be able to turn the page, man, after a tragedy or a disappointment. Or simply when maybe expectations don't, don't come through. Samuel's greatest disappointment in life was the downfall of King Saul, for sure. A man he believed in, a man he put in all his hopes, all his dreams. But he has to face reality. Saul will not come back from his self-chosen path of destruction, and he needs to turn the page, amen, because we know how Samuel, or how Saul ended. He, he consulted the witch and ended with a violent death. So what is your Saul? This morning I ask you, who is your Isaac? But this evening I'm going to ask you, who is your Saul? Amen? Who is your Saul? What is your disappointment in life? And you need to overcome. What is the tragedy or circumstances or expectations which did not come true. How do you respond to that? Disciple, maybe it is that relationship you hoped for, but it didn't work out. Or it's that ministry maybe you pursued, but it now door seems to be closed or whatever it is. 
You shouldn't mourn too long. Proverbs 13 verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. We should not focus too long on our disappointments. Life is too short to take too much time, amen, about, and, and to mourn and to regret about things. David, he mourned so long for his son, son Absalom, and, and it was a great contrast with the situation later or uh, earlier, actually, when Bathsheba's son got ill and finally died. And 2 Samuel 12, verse 19 says, When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He's dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. And we know that the people marveled. Hey, you, you mourned and you, you fasted when the child was alive, but now you, you know, you go home and you eat. And, they say, and he said, well, what can I do? My son already died. There's no way I can get him back from, uh, get him back alive. And so he focused on the future. And it's, again, it's not bad to mourn, of course, if you lost a child or you lost a loved one. But David understood also the importance of turning the page. It's 1920 when the young Oswald Smith, he stands in front of a committee to be, to be chosen as a missionary. He already felt called at a young age, and, but then there is this, this great disappointment when the chairman says, Mr. Smith, according to the judgment of the board, you do not qualify to become a missionary. What is he supposed to do now? He goes home, disappointed, but he prays and God puts this new dream into his heart. If he thinks by himself, if, I, if I, I cannot go, I will make others go. I will give others opportunity. He, he makes it his goal to send others into the mission fields. He makes up his mind to start a church that will be a missionary center, sending out people all over the world. And that's what happened. People's Church in Toronto. Canada became a church sending out more missionaries than any other church in its time. So God fulfilled the dream of this pastor, Oswald Smith. But just in a different way. Not in a way he hoped for, he expected. But just in a different way. He was able to turn the page. And God made him very fruitful. Philippians 3 verse 13 says this, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. And I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So what about you? Are you able to to turn the page in your life, amen, so that God can open, actually, a new chapter. Let's finally look at that, opening a new chapter. Because life comes in chapters. 
I remember what Pastor Mitchell, Pastor Wayman Mitchell, uh, he had a conversation with Pastor Campbell after Sister Mitchell passed away. And so Pastor Campbell asked him, how do you feel? And Pastor Mitchell answered him and said, well, I guess that this is just a new chapter in my life. Very sobering. Samuel, Samuel, he, he's told by God, let the morning be over, open a new chapter. Verse 1, fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. So Samuel is told to rise up. Amen. From this place of mourning, from this place of discouragement. You know, there's a thin line between mourning and self-pity. Or sometimes even self-hatred. And Samuel needs to get himself together. Not focus on Saul any longer. You know, we need to get our eyes from the problem. And focus on our future. Focus on a new chapter when... Things didn't go as we expected. Joshua 7 verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie this on your face? Samuel was told, Fill your horn with oil. It's time for a fresh filling. The oil is meant to anoint the new king, and the new king will be King David. Oil is also a picture of the Holy Spirit. We know that. It's also a picture of fresh power. Amen. A new consecration to God and leaving the old behind and focusing on a new thing God has for us. Verse 20. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and he worshipped. The book of Isaiah says it is the anointing that breaks the yoke. Amen. So maybe you need to use your anointing, amen, and break away from the yoke in your mind. Maybe there's a yoke in your mind because of former disappointment and former failure. The yoke of limiting yourself. Not able to turn the page and you limit yourself actually. Maybe you should fill your horn with some fresh oil and go. God says to Samuel, go, Samuel. I want you to open a new chapter. I want you to open, amen, a new chapter after this defeat and this disappointment. And to anoint a better man. Can I tell you that God has sometimes something better waiting for us around the corner, amen? A new chapter in life, hallelujah. Something better waiting for us. So let's do that. Turn the page, amen. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes this evening. Spoken about turning the page. And maybe this will not apply for everyone. But I believe there are people here. You need to turn the page. Need to turn the page maybe because people... Loved ones, maybe you lost loved ones, or things happened in your own life. There was disappointment, expectations which were not fulfilled. 
We have to turn the page. Maybe tonight you came as a visitor or you came here before, but most important thing in your life is lacking, and that is salvation. And that is a relationship with God. And this evening I want to give you this opportunity first to get saved, to get right with God. God loves you. He gave his son Jesus Christ to die for you on the cross. But you need to accept that. Jesus knocks at the door, door of your heart. Whoever opens the door of his heart, he will come in. If that's you, please raise up your hand. You're not saved. Or maybe you're backslidden. Maybe backslidden because of disappointment that you were not able to turn the page like I've just been preaching. But you want to come back to Jesus. You regret your former decisions, amen, and you want to come back to Jesus. Raise your hand this evening. Christians have been spoken about turning the page. The prophet Samuel, he was focusing too long on the problem, Saul. He was focusing too long on his disappointment. He felt it maybe as a personal failure. While he could not do so much about it, it was Saul's own decisions which brought him down. So don't mourn too long about situations, about disappointments in your life. Amen. Certain loss or certain trauma. And I don't speak about the normal mourning after losing a loved one. Amen. But I speak about maybe opportunities. And you've, you've failed or you missed opportunities or something didn't work out or ministry didn't work out or whatever. We need to get over this. We need to be able to turn the page, amen, and open a new chapter this evening. And again, this will not apply to everyone. But I believe there are men and women here, amen, this applies to you. This applies to your situation. This applies to your life, amen. The story of your life, maybe. Maybe recently, maybe long, long time ago. But let God help you, amen, to turn the page and to open this new chapter in your life. Let's all stand in this place, amen. If this applies to you, God has spoken to your heart, amen. Find a place to pray. Do business with God tonight, amen, as we continue singing a song.
we give you praise that you Why don't we all stand, amen, and...